you can plug in your game logic, you can walk in, you can sit and play poker with your friends or in a virtual environment, um, the entire thing. And it all becomes on chain. It's all automated. Right? It's covered back and forth. I mean, gambling, this was, this was built for that kind of stuff. That was Jared Fink, a musician, former med school student, digital rights management expert, and a Web3 and spatial web entrepreneur. On the Gaming Today Playbook podcast, Fink shares how his Cosmic Wire company could help change the future of security and interaction, not only in the online gaming industry, but in all industries. I cover the gambling industry, and I think from listening to you, I think I yeah. understand how it could be applied, how this yeah, could be applied. we are heavy in gambling. We're heavy, heavy in gambling. Okay, one well, my, uh, I'm going to let you just run with it on how this can apply to that industry. Yeah, one of my founders was the uh, um, founder of Golden Palace. Okay, and, uh, all right. Yeah, so like deep, deep in the space. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, so with when we use crypto, we use what's called burner tokens. Mm -hmm. It's just like Chuck E. Cheese or Dave and Buster's, right? We use SPLs yeah. from Solana because they don't cost anything to mint. So they're just marker tokens for whatever. It's the exact same way the chips work. We can run all the game logic. You can walk into the casino. You can do your KYC, KYV, ML. We can handle all the payment processing in real time. We're an MGO. Well, we cut deals with interchange with, with all the major credit cards um, to go across. And it's it's exactly the same thing. You can plug in your game logic, you can walk in, you can sit and play poker with your friends or in a virtual environment, um, the entire thing. And it all becomes on chain. It's all automated. Right? It's covered back and forth. I mean, gambling, this was, this was built for that kind of stuff. And it translates to, to pretty much every system, but definitely gambling. We're putting gambling in almost every system that we're putting out. Yeah. Along with some some couple of major casinos. Uh, well, that was that was my next question. I mean, do you do you see this as sort of a uh, maybe using the improper term, but I'm gonna use metaverse as a term. Is this a thing where where people could play each other from different places on the planet? You know, the whole own... world can go to the same place. Everyone yeah, can every... be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, but could would you also, as far as like the blockchain and the security aspect of this, it seems like something that gambling companies would be interested in because obviously people who are putting their credit cards in and they want to they want to gamble, play poker or whatever online are going to want some security. That's exactly it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So it's, this could apply to that also. That's exactly what it is, right? So every user goes through KYC, KYB, AML. Once they get approved, um, they go to spin up their identity. Um, we use Shamir Split, right? It's just whatever social network you're in with whatever device you're on, and we keep one of the keys in cold storage. We delete those keys the minute they're formed so that identity can never be reconstituted. If you lose your identity, you have to go through the whole process again. But because it's all in Ledger, we can just migrate the, the ledgers back and forth. In that essence, um, we know exactly who everyone is. So this has massive implications for gambling, obviously for adult entertainment, you know, anything that you want to have any kind of credentialing for where you're trying to create a secure environment. This is really for that. It's the same reason we're working with the military. Um, this works pretty much everywhere. And it's what, what we've needed for a fix because now none of these people and none of their data and none of their financial information is sitting in a database. It's inside of this zero trust environment that no one has access to. We don't own it. The company doesn't own it. The casino doesn't have it processors don't have it because everyone's plugged in after the fact they only get that feed in that one-way highway out from that obfuscated identity um every single time so this is that when i said like we're turning people into autonomous so sovereign nodes that's literally it and the metaverse i think is the internet right and all these sites are just spatial web and the spatial web together equals the metaverse i think this idea that the metaverse is an island is is absurd because we're already doing it 
where we've been in the metaverse since the internet came out. Have you accidentally yes. created a way to get rid of spam email after you sign up for something? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's exactly it, right? I mean, that's, I mean, the inverse, right, is you control what you let in, but you also control what you let out. I mean, the whole thing is, is set up that way. So it's um, absolutely gets rid of all of that that stuff. Interesting. What th this is more of a you know a a, a legend a regulator type question, but I'm sure you I would think you have an opinion on it. Like the future of, of gambling, as you're talking about it, it could be a person from Switzerland and a person from Spain playing poker against each other, looking at avatars for the lack of a better term of each other somewhere you know in, in the on the web. Well, it's it's it's, it's looking at them like it's literally yeah. you. Like it's okay. The one All right. Okay. So, so what, what do you think, how hard is it going to be to, to regulate this? Because you're going to have governments that want to tax this and then you're dealing with different jurisdictions. And it just seems like a lot of things that possibly not read in politicians are going to maybe fumble through as they're trying to make laws to, you know, honestly tax it. Well, it's, I mean, it's actually, it was overwhelming at first because on top of the gambling stuff, I'm also working with the largest adult platform who has 43% of all internet traffic in the world. So I'm, I'm assuming you can figure out who that is. That's but it. Mm -hmm. it was the exact same thing that they were dealing with. And this actually made it easier because you can't hide who or where you are anymore. So everything is geofenced, right? So if you're in Wyoming and it's not, you can't go gamble in Nevada through their Nevada um, casinos you have to be in nevada to do that it's the same right. thing as like the adult content that we had to you know wall garden off from all the muslim countries where, where it's you know or, or china right it's, it's the same thing so um, we really didn't have to do a lot except put in the api connections from all the kyc kyb ml who already have all the regulations for all the different regions because they're the ones that are doing it and we just plug that in and then when people are in, the, the wallet itself is credentialized based off of the IP that was linked to it and where that person is in real time. And it's not something you can spoof with a VPN because you actually have to go through these checks in real time to prove who and where you are every single time, you know, to the highest level of, of that. And that efficacy is the same, same efficacy that JP Morgan uses, right? Because we're using the exact same process with the exact same company. So... Um, it's it's not perfect. It's approaching zero, right? But every system that that moves forward in technology is always approaching zero, and this is infinitely better than anything that's out there now. Is the future? And um, this is my last question. I think we're probably running out of time, but I, I appreciate and this has been really good. The the future of privacy is it going to be? Are we going to get to a place where people aren't going to have to worry about? their credit card number getting put on the list somewhere or yeah. you know, their, their accounts getting hacked or, or, but won't there always be very smart people that are it, like created spatial web that are going to have bad intentions that you're telling me that they're not going to be able to do bad things with, with people's data when these things, when you're, when spatial web's fully implemented. Well, it's loaded question, right? So yeah. <laughs> don't want to put a, a target on my forehead. But, no, no, no. Um, yeah, but to be frank, right, A, we're not, none of the data is being stored, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's the first redundancy. Two, everything is inside of those zero trust environments, right? So your identity, there is no access point. Inside of that identity is where your financial information is. So the only way to get into that system is to break down blockchain. 
a blockchain is based on the speed of ledger, which is our current compute cycle. So um, the United States government, the Chinese government already have quantum computing and have already broke down blockchain, but that's in military use. When, when quantum computing hits, you know, into a commercialized state, the new speed of ledger would be at quantum, but there will absolutely be a moment in time when quantum computing breaks down blockchain because it's faster than the speed of it's like being faster than the speed of light or outside of time you know if you can like philosophically speaking about it so that yeah. that's kind of like the propensity that we're approaching it's all it's kind of similar to like the y2k thing right it's like there'll be this moment in time where everyone's going to freak out <laughs> but th there isn't there isn't anything you can do about that that that's just the evolution of technology it's like what happens when we build flying cars to like the driving cars like they, they, those kind of things are always going to happen but right now in our current life cycle this is the most bulletproof um solution towards that and and in this system none of your data is compromised because the only one that has your data is you interesting well it certainly sounds better than the panic that you know folks live in now wondering every time they get an email from their credit card company saying we got hacked and oh dude this i did a psn network they had like 70 million people or something like that right or 700 million i don't remember the number but it was massive and all yeah. of that financial information got out and i've had that and that's the problem with these database systems is you know if you get into one of those at aws or gcp or akamai or edge or wherever your stuff's being stored there's usually there's hundreds of companies in these things and they're all tied together right they just swim through this data and then you get put into that that sector this is not that none of this stuff is being coagulated and there is no collection point unless that company wants there to be a collection point like for yeah. one example of that is with this system if we gave it to a a large company i'll just say arbitrarily someone like microsoft right because they wanted to run their pop3 mail server through it they credentialized every employee so you could only send emails to the people that it went to and they're kind of the same thing you'd set up only like this is bulletproof right but they're a custodial system because they want to own all their internal data for liability purposes and so forth right so when they take that and they take their data and put it somewhere um if that's not in a secure environment like that's a way to do it uh, or, or, or a vulnerability but that's not a vulnerability of the system that's a vulnerability of the client you know making a poor decision on how to store their data i'm just doing the linkedin scan on you you have a very diverse one uh just tell me about your background and what brought you to this new place in your career yeah, um, I mean, it's a, been a kind of a crazy journey, um, to say the least, though. But uh, basically, you know, I grew up in a pretty heavily musical family. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that pretty much my whole life. Um, like every other kid that went to college, you know, I played in like a shitty Weezer rock band cover doing that whole thing, trying to be a rock star. But, um, I was actually going to school for, for medicine and, um, you know, my family was not well off, um, bunch of farmers from a really small town. And so, you know, I, I would go down to Silicon Valley and I worked there, um, in the summers and then moved down there to, to basically pay for college. Um, I'd been, you know, building tech and coding and building programs pretty much as long as I've been alive, you know, cause I kind of grew up with that stuff. I was a, you know, the Oregon trail kid. Um, got my first computer when I was 14, when AOL one came out and I've just never really stopped. And so in early Silicon Valley days, you basically went down there and you'd go into like recruitment centers and they do proficiency tests and I'm um, just kind of send you around. So I worked at, you know, 30 or 40 different startup and companies in all different capacities. And I finally landed at Nokia, um, and, and ended up getting a pretty solid gig there, uh, I was part of the SAP implementation team. SAP had just came out and we didn't even know what SAP was, but we you know, had to learn it. 
essentially. And then that transferred into cybersecurity and then I started running internal IT and then I got into system ad admin and just kind of like wormed my way through. Um, and then went back to med school, kept playing uh, music the whole time. And then in 2008, I won a VH1 Save the Music Singer Songwriter of the Year, um, which ended up getting me a, my first record deal. So I called my dad in the middle of my residency program and said I was dropping out and going to go play guitar and basically gave him a seizure because we had about $480,000 in student loans at that time. And then I um, have been doing that since 2008, you know, at, at all different major labels, publishers. Uh, I'm a producer, been on a ton of like the biggest records. Um, I'm also an artist with my own stuff, do a lot of ghostwriting, publishing, licensing, and sync. Got really deep into copyright and trademark law and royalty streams and doing a lot of like moved into viral campaigns and just kind of like living and breathing that entire ecosystem of entertainment, entertainment law and copyright trademark. And was just always really fascinated with scaling IP. Um, start of the pandemic, um, that January, I just signed my new deal. It was actually the biggest deal I'd ever signed. It was uh, with Annie Fragile um, under Tom Sarek, which was like Lou Reed's manager through Universal. Uh, got my first cover on, on a magazine and I booked my whole European tour for that year. And then two months later, I got the email from the label saying that all of our tours were canceled because of the pandemic. Um, I had a two-week-old son, uh, so stuff got real, you know, real fat. Uh, sync, uh, because on top of like all my artist stuff, I also wrote music for TV and movie and film, and I've been doing that forever too. I'm part of Scorekeepers, which is Thomas Newman and Randy Newman and a bunch of other guys. Um, but I was working on a bunch of shows, but then Hollywood got shut down from the pandemic. So, um, you know, I kind of went into redundancy land or survival mechanism, and I'd been doing this immersive thing for, for close to a decade, you know, trying to figure out a way. And, and basically the genesis of all this was that there isn't really a album art anymore or any kind of like artist centric system. Um, you know, you get a thumbnail on iTunes essentially. And, um, for me, it was like this, this immersive stuff was a way to let people come in. Cause that's kind of the, the the essence of fandom, right? It's like, we all, we all know the music or the film or the book or the painting that we like, but, but what gets you hooked is like the anecdotes or the, you know, eccentricities of the artist or person that you're around. So I'm um, getting people into like, just be a part of your life was, was really kind of the, the idea at the same time, you know, I was deep in crypto and I've been a degen since kind of Bitcoin started and, uh, was heavy into doing some smart contracts and like putting out some like early NFTs and just kind of like working with the system. And I had this idea for doing a DRM, which is a, a PROs like ASGAP, BMI, CSAC, how they, how they tabulate royalties now is still this very like pencil and paper system that doesn't, doesn't really make any sense. It's a lot of inference based off of like Nielsen gatherings from certain specific cities. So it's, it's not exact at all. It's like, there's, that's why there's constant lawsuits things between all these departments and I was going through with myself just from my own songs and sinks and constantly fighting publishers and PROs to try and get your money back. And you have to hire managers and lawyers to go on and basically end up spending everything to get, you know, your money back in the first place. And blockchain presented like a really simple and effective way to automate that because it was very similar to me of, of, of 2000 when I was down in Silicon Valley, you know, when SAP and all that stuff was starting where it was really going from like, pencil and paper into a ledger based system, you know, automated electronic systems and databases and blockchain was really kind of the next iteration of that. And that's what I saw immediately. So I 
started building out this DRM, which was, I was going to put publishing rights and PRO information and master rights, and ISRCs and sales and all of the kind of API connections that we have from the different data points and put them on chain, which would allow us to track provenance of chain and custody and would also give us exact um, royalty streams because um, even if, you know, the collection method from like Nielsen is, is not as perfect as it should be. And the labels are obviously off, obfuscating. They've been doing that since they've been burying records in the backyard to, you know, using bots to spin streams. Now it's all, it's all the same game, but the other side of the token, like YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, um, all of those TikTok, they know exactly how many streams are being played because they have to pay the royalties back. So I built it backwards and connected all those endpoints to find collection methods and started streaming back towards the source and and it turned out to just you know work really effectively and that that translated into just a million of other different fields that could use these automated systems because what i found out that happened from that is that by containerizing that data point in that moment in time in that chain moment at the time of that trans because the transaction in in, in like Cosmic Wire's language is, is really just a data point. It's not an actual transaction of cryptocurrency, but like something that's happening. And something that's happening can be anything. But if we start putting those data points in blockchain, we've effectively created interchange of data, which is something that's never existed. Um, interchange in currency, like when you exchange USD to yen, at a moment in time, there has to be an equivocated value. There has to be, even though those things are in flux and constantly moving, at that moment in time, X is worth Y right? You're trading a pig for a duck, whatever, whatever methodology you want to use. And I thought we could do the exact same thing with data, because if we do that with data and we have the moment in time, then we have the provenance and that's going to end all of the counterfeit fraud and manipulation of data, skimming and all the other things that come across in database systems. And that's when I really started taking off um, for me, at least philosophically, with all the businesses that I was talking to, because it transferred to HIPAA compliance, to POS systems, to loyalty rewards programs, to, to all of those things. So while the whole world was like using blockchain to build NFTs and cats and pictures of cats and, and other sell cryptocurrency, like their ICOs, you know, through chat groups and shit, like we were building Ledger because that's what I've always thought that it was. It's, it's, it's basically like a timestamp of data that's automated and, and effectively immutable in that moment in time. So if you take that and use that for your CSV output, the other thing that comes out of it is we've now built the most powerful behavioral based engine that's ever been put together because we're not predicting anymore. We're seeing real behaviors from real users in real time and knowing exactly what they're trying to find. Right. And so then the yeah. final component of this whole like journey for me, and I'm not trying to get, get, ramble too long, but just to fill you in of like the Genesis here is, it was the same thing that I was trying to deal with with my music stuff was how do I protect um, my data? Because like every other person on earth that's tired of Facebook and Instagram and everyone else mining and Google mining all of your personal data, this is the opposite of that, right? So we created a way to bring people in to these soulbound identities that obfuscate your identity on chain to basically turn people into their own autonomous sovereign nodes to control their data and own their data, right? And then the way that I look at the chain, the chain is the internet, the people are the nodes. And we're already in the metaverse, we're in it right now. Zoom, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all that stuff, we just glue it all together. And that's the genesis of what I launched and believed was called Spatial Web. And that's what we've been building the whole time and going to market with now. 
That's interesting. The 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 process there between uh, digital rights management and and to blockchain. It's um, you know there there's lots of debates and a lot of talking and hand wringing about crypto and what becomes of that in the future. But it, it it's entwined in sort of the mainstream conversation with blockchain. But blockchain really does seem like no matter what happens with crypto, it's going to be the, a survivor technology here because it's it's getting proved and it seems secure. Is that right? Oh, it's it's the future, 100%. I mean, when I go put this together, it was just music. I'm doing government to government commodities trades now. Um, we just executed the first full end-to-end -end encrypted um, trade mitigation through two different governments um, through KYC, KYB, AML with real-time dynamic smart contracts to transfer commodities because what I found out is all sectors are dealing with the same kind of inefficiencies. And the slippage on this stuff is anywhere from 10 to 20%. It's insane numbers. One of the companies that we're dealing with does $300 billion a year in sugar sales, and they mitigate 20% slippage because of all that stuff that I just talked about. Um, and it doesn't have to be there. When you start putting these things into these time-stamped keystroke-based, behavioral-based transactions, which are just the, the moment in time, everything becomes um, encrypted, everything becomes immutable, and every action has has recourse. You can trace everything back. So it's incredibly powerful. It's, it's literally what the internet was supposed to be. It was like the first promise of this massive interconnected web where everyone would be able to trade information. And, and instead, we got put into these like rabbit holes of, you know, this corporate mess that we're in now, but this is really kind of antiseptic to that because it really does empower every individual to control their data, control their assets, do business in a zero trust environment with KYC, KYB, AML. You don't even have to know who the other person is. Every piece of the transaction is transparent while also protecting your identity, encrypts your assets because they're not sitting in databases anymore because we're sharding all these things all over. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely the future. This is literally the year 2000 over again. Where in 2000, we were saying everyone needs to be an internet company, right? If you're not an internet company today, you don't exist. And I, th I think this is absolutely going to be the same thing with, with blockchain. And that's what we've been doing the whole time. And this has just gone everywhere. We have partners with, we're partners with AWS, GCP. I'm cutting a deal with HPE right now. We're in with all these governments, we're with DARPA and DIU. I mean, it's just absolutely insane the adoption that's happened because uh, it was such a simple fix for something that that didn't have a fix. It sounds more yeah. complicated it is, but basically all yeah. we're doing is running Ledger alongside a process. Okay. All right. Now, uh, here comes one of these wide open questions. Um, contrast right. for me what, what spatial web is versus web three or as part of web three. So web three, in my purview, in the way that I've implemented my company is the backend architecture that we're from database systems to the multiplayer to our data access layers all the way through the middleware i mean we're every single piece of it um for like techie people like jwts are, are basically how we encrypt things right now we're placing all those with blockchain everything has a key those keys um self destruct or, or they erode after they're being used immediately which means they can't be reconstituted again which creates that true zero trust environment i don't have access to it no one has access to it. It's your stuff. It's your province. It's your chain of custody. Spatial web has been something that people have been trying to do for 20 years. 
Nintendo's been talking about getting out of the hardware business since they were in the hardware business mm-hmm. because it's a loss leader. It's always been. It costs more to make those machines than they sell them for. They always make the money back on software. The problem with XR and all of that kind of stuff that people have been dabbling with basically browser-based immersive environments is the size of the files. They're just too big. OBJs, Unreal, Unity, all these 3D engines, Blender, Maya, ZBrush. These are massive, massive files. Way, way too big to ever be contemplated over the internet. So um, when we started really dabbling into this, like I'd been messing around with XR for literally close to a decade, um, trying to figure out paths through, and it always came back to the same spot. It was just compression. And so that's where we went. And I put together what I thought were the best math and science minds and compression minds in the world and basically sat in a room and we started working on different methods of compression not necessarily algorithms but different methods and procedures of compression processes which is where as an audio guy i've been doing this forever as an audio engineer just different methods of compression inside of like the actual master files to go and make these things as small as possible while maintaining the highest audio fidelity and the same impression um, we took into compression. So for the most part, compression is a very universal thing. It's like there's a ceiling and a floor and you sandwich things together. Mm-hmm. And that's how the majority of it's done. We took a really um, surgical approach where we started going into um, these actual algorithms targeting specific things. For example, um, in audio, you know, in every track that I ever do, we always cut off, you know, below like 10 or 15 hertz and above like 16, 17,000 hertz because... Uh, the human ear can't even hear that stuff, right? But it still carries energy. It still has weight, still carries data. So it eats up a lot of file space, et cetera. So we took the same approach with this. Um, there's blacks and whites, there's hues, there's things that we can't see. We don't need to translate all of those things. Like the the different targeting, different parts of pages, like numbers and logos. Um, if the most important aspect is for legal documents, for example, is the text. We don't care about the little graphic in the top right corner or the left, right? We started writing algorithms to target that. And then we came up with our own novel algorithms to go and turn this into what we call an omnibus tool up to just basically compress files in the, in the most manageable way possible while we remaining at the highest fidelity. And we started achieving some pretty remarkable stuff. Um, we were reducing OBJ files and OBJ sequences by close to 90% on top of all known methods, just using existing technology, but doing it better. It's like fundamental basketball type stuff and bringing those people together because the problem and the thing that's happened is technology has gotten better and bigger and faster as people have gotten lazy. Right? It's like we don't have to push as hard as we used to because you have so much more room for error and so much more processing speed. And we took the exact opposite approach. Let's make this as compact and as efficient as humanly possible given the new parameters and see what's now possible. Basically, we're pushing different bits through the same tubes or the same infrastructure, and it started there. And we were getting massive results. Across the board, 60 to 90% on top of all known methods. That includes like Google's Draco and DCT and Adobe because we use those too. We put everything together. And then our own on top of it. And then I started um, tracking down more just kind of through the history of, of OBJ and LiDAR and, and rendering and volumetric files because that's really where I wanted to go is try to get to that Ready Player One experience. And I tracked down this company called Mantis Vision out of Israel. Um, they About 15 years ago, they invented something called the depth lens. The depth lens is in every cell phone on earth. It's what made LiDAR possible. It's a singular lens that allows it to look at an image and determine the depth between the forefront, foreground, and the background. Massively impactful stuff that hadn't been really fully realized. And I started digging into all of their stuff, and I contacted them and found the core team. And they had been working on 
the exact same thing because that's how they were getting lighthearted to work through a depth lens was all these compression algorithms. And so we combined their tools with what we did and we turned out to have something that was absolutely novel and revolutionary and the ability to be able to transmit the stuff to websites. So I bought all the original IP. I bought all the original algorithms. I hired the original 15 guys that did those from Israel. We joined in our company at Cosmic, put us all together. And then we created this entire stack that allows us to send OBJs and Unreal scenes over the website. And it is absolutely game-breaking technology. We're sending 8K volumetric files that can be two to 300 gigs um, at 20 KB a second. Now we're reducing entire UE5 scenes that are four and a half gigs to five gigs to 20 to 40 megs. It sounds impossible, but we did it. It's up and running. It's at market. We're launching all these systems now. And, and that is, is the basic architecture of, of spatial web. Um, we put together the entire ability to do, to basically have a Z axis on your website. Uh, we ran the entire uh, backend through blockchain automated services. We hooked in global KYC, KYB, AML partners um, with all the telecom and Astra, IDB and so forth uh, for different pieces for that. And then we built out our own spatial audio engine to scale along that runs through the same chain infrastructure and then tag that together into an entire full stack, which is um, what we call the picks and shovels of spatial web. Anyone can do this. Anyone can use it. It's completely interoperable technology. You don't have to have anything to do it. The only thing you need is access to the internet. It all functions on a 3G signal or better. If your computer or device is post-2015, you can render all this stuff. All the rendering is done in the cloud. Nothing gets pushed to the client. This isn't multi-server instancing or any of that other garbage that, that people have been trying to sell that doesn't work because it's still, they haven't conquered compute. Um, this is an entirely novel, revolutionary way of doing networking. And it absolutely works and it's absolutely scalable, which is why we're going out as an infrastructure play through all these partners and the upshot is like everything can technically be ported over to this as this keeps evolving we're doing full-scale gains we're doing full-scale environments marketplaces um live stream volumetric live stream and these are this is live stream hologram technology and so when you start thinking about what this really is it's because it's all web-based we can geofence this to any location which means we can have our freestanding holograms in any of those um, geofence locations. And all you need is a pass-through lens. And we don't need to have the GPUs or the RAMs like Oculus or any of those, the Ray-Ban smart glasses or anything that gets an internet signal can go and populate this because we're doing the rendering for it. This is what Google Glass needed, you know, 10 years ago. It's just the compute wasn't there. And we cracked the code on that stuff. We patented this process and we made it interoperable. And then one of the other concepts we tied into it was a thing called interchain messaging, which we also patented, put together this. So basically we've created an interoperable solution that goes across fiat well chains. That's web-based. Um, that is the future of spatial web, where I think everything on earth will have spatial web in some capacity. It's also simple things like going to the doctor or going to the bank or going to the DMV, going to a therapy session, meeting up with your friends, you know, even like the zoom session, you and I could be sitting in the same room in spatial web and be looking at each other's full volumetric holograms because the fidelity is absolutely mind-bending. We get to the end of this, I'll show it to you. He did, and it was unlike anything you've probably ever seen, but will soon. Thanks to Jared Fink for the time and the education on Web3 and spatial web. I'm Brand James, and thanks for listening to the Gaming Today Playbook Podcast.